Welcome to the Dog Friendly KW Podcast with your hosts, Justine and Mackenzie on Midtown Radio KW. joined today by Laura Bai and Jenna Bai from the GTA-based Save Our Scruff. Save Our Scruff is a local charitable organization that works to support rescue dogs globally while building up the people and communities around them. Today we're going to talk about finding the perfect match for dogs in the rescue world. So let's go. Welcome to the Dog Friendly KW Podcast with your hosts Justine and Mackenzie on Midtown Radio KW. And today we are joined by Laura Bai and Jenna Bai from Save Our Scruff. Laura and Jenna previously joined us on our podcast in season two, so we are very excited to have them back. So welcome, Laura and Jenna. Thank y'all. Thanks. I haven't heard our names Laura by and Jenna by said like that in so long. Like usually it's Laura and Jenna by. That makes sense. <laughs> I, I love that. Well, we are so excited to have you both here again. I can't believe we are already into season five. It feels like wow. we just had you on the podcast not that long ago. So that's very exciting. Um, so we would love if you could introduce yourselves and your dogs for those who maybe haven't heard your previous episode with us. Yeah, Laura, you go first. You got exciting news. You just adopted a dog. <gasps> what? Is it yeah. bugs? Is it bugs? Did you adopt bugs? <laughs> I did not adopt bugs. Um, bugs is still an option. She's on the website still. So anyone looking for a high energy, beautiful pitbull mix, um, she is there. I adopted a dog who was formerly known Alice, known as Alice, um, and she's still annoyingly known as Alice, but we're in the midst of changing her name to potentially just Pal, um, and she's like an 85-pound Shepherd Malinois Akita mix, and she's like my best friend, and... Aww. And like she also thinks she's my best friend. Like it's not just like one sided. <laughs> I want to see. I want to see what she looks like. She's taking a snooze right now because we were just hunting around the house for tennis balls. And oh, I see her all curled up. Yeah. Oh, how old is she? Um, she's about a year and a half, and she came down in just this past October when um we went up to Cross Lake uh, First Nations to do a poll before the winter. Um, so she was one of 71 dogs that made it down with that, that made them down with us with her two puppies who have of course, um, been adopted. And, um, she was the last to go just because she was a little bit more difficult. She had some like behavioral challenges and things that weren't maybe overly desirable as a dog or as a, for a pet. But I was like, yo, you're rad. Like you're, <laughs> you're a little bit annoying. Like I work with that. Cause I'm also a little annoying. So <laughs> we oh, with- I love that. We're just getting into a groove, yeah. Amazing. And she's from Cross Lake, just like Marshall. Yeah. That's amazing. Awesome. Well, 
Jenna. Tell us about yourself and about the famous SOS mascot. Yeah, I have mascot Mickey with me. He's hanging out in my bed right now. Uh, He's nine. He's from the Dominican Republic. Uh, He spent a year in the shelter before coming to Canada, being fostered for a year, and then coming into our care as a family, and then just never leaving. We never even officially adopted him, so he's just, uh, what is it called now? It's like those like things that like don't pay rent in your house or whatever. <laughs> you mean what you and Mickey are in the house? Me and Mickey don't pay rent in the house. <laughs> yeah, squatters. Sisters, by the way. <laughs> For it's on Hudson in the background Mackenzie. yes I'm trying I'm sorry I'm trying to get him to stop but he's ha- part husky and he when he talks he talks so <laughs> okay so before we dive in to today's topic uh can you give us uh and our listeners a quick overview of Save Our Scruff or also known as SOS go for it Laura I was going to say younger sister has to take this question. Um, (laughs) Save our scruff. So we are, I think like what most people know to be like a local dog rescue. Um, We work at like the base of what we do or the most well-known part of what we do is our foster and adoption program. So we support international rescues and some shelter spaces here in Ontario um, and owners friends with, in taking of their d- dogs in need uh, and then eventually adopting them out after they've gone through the foster experience, um, been vetted and kind of just checked in on to make sure that they're ready for adoption. Um, aside from that, we're part of, you know, educating, bringing the community together, um, really trying to, it's so tough because there's so many aspects of dog ownership and dog being a dog advocate um, and we're always jumping in and grabbing on to new things and then being like okay wait is this ours or is this some is there you know a professional that that can do this and that we can resource we can source to um but I would say we do a little bit of everything but it really you know at the end of the day we have to work with humans in order to change dogs lives um so it's really about engaging with humans and finding creative ways to pull humans in and help um, them understand that being extensions of like a lot of our values is super helpful for not only like dogs, but also themselves. That is a really beautiful way to sum up the work that you do. And your, your team does so much work, right? Beyond just placing, placing dogs in homes, which is what we're going to talk about today. But, um, obviously it runs so much deeper than that. So I'm glad you touched on that piece. So today we're going to talk about finding a match in the rescue world. So could you start by maybe telling us what it really means to find a match? I think what it means to find a match is, you know, I think for our organization, what it means to find a match is listening to who the human is and what their circumstances and then finding a dog that has its own kind of autonomy of who they are and what situation they would like to be in and then putting those two things together. So for us, it's really about screening both of those things to blend them into the perfect combination. <laughs> and I actually might even say that there's no such thing as perfect. Like I've, I've been known to say in the past, there's a perfect home for every dog and a perfect home or a perfect dog for every home. And I think or I believe now it's more about finding the 
perfect, like the person who's going to put in the right amount of work that makes sense for that dog. And the, the dog that has the qualities that fit well enough into a human's experience level, environment, abilities, um, so that they can work and, and jive smoothly. Like I, I feel that a lot of people want the perfect match, which to most people probably means convenience, like, like not having to put on a lot of work, but I feel, although those things, those matches do exist, I do feel they're the exception. I feel that people, and, and unfortunately those people talk about their experiences as if they're the, the only reason that they're like that is because the rescue or saver scruff or whoever was involved did their job, which yes, we did at that point. By the end of the day, like your dog is maybe just like so simple and so easy. <laughs> when in reality, like dogs are children with fur that never grow up and become independent. And if you don't think you have to do just as much work to become a dog parent as you do to be a human parent, like, I don't know. Like then there, then there isn't really a perfect match out there for you unless also, you're the exception, but that's a lottery. I, I like that a lot. Yeah. Like us as humans, we tend to strive for perfection and like perfection. You're absolutely right. doesn't really exist anywhere in our lives, let alone with another living creature that, you know, is a dog. So, um, what, uh, what I'm curious about, so yeah, there are many, many different dogs out there and like it's situational too, right? So like you can have a perfect dog in a perfect situation for a short period of time, but then maybe that situation changes. I'm just curious with Save Our Scruff. So I know you guys have a great uh, alumni program. Um, you guys fo keep following up with uh, with dogs in, in homes, yeah? So we don't do check-ins post-adoption other than like an initial one at the end, but we mm -hmm. have a relationship with our alumni. At least that's what our desire is. So for example, we have like a Facebook group where everyone can connect together. Personally, I cyber stalk everyone on social. Like, <laughs> I think my favorite thing is like now all of our adopters like getting married, having kids. Like I like to engage on those posts too because I'm like, you're celebrating so much happiness. Like how's your dog fitting into your life changes? So for us, it's like, let's just keep a relationship. Like let's go on pack walks together. Like this isn't like a one-time um, moment. This is like, you know, it's almost like a wedding and a marriage. Like, you know, the adoption is the wedding but then there's a whole marriage behind that and we're kind of there to support the longevity of success i i love that and i that's why we love save our scruff so much because yeah you 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 guys do continue to try and like have events with your alumni and have you know different uh connections like even through the facebook group so um i think that's uh that's pretty special and that says something about your organization um itself yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. We're going to take a super quick break and we're going to come back to learn more about the details of matching and really dig into practically what this looks like.
welcome back to the Dog Friendly KW podcast with your hosts Justine and Mackenzie on Midtown Radio KW. And today we are talking with Laura Bai and Jenna Bai from Save Our Scruff about finding a great match for rescue dogs. So let's dive back into some specific questions related to matching a pup to their home. Yeah, so when you are matching a dog, what would you say are the first or the main primary considerations that you always have in mind? Well, main considerations when you're looking at creating a match, like a lifelong for the dog at least match, you know, it's size is a big one, energy level, um, what do you want to do with your dog? Like, I don't know. I'm blanking right here on the specific, maybe it's the wording of the question, but. Okay. Let me um, go. Um, I would say what I first and foremost would look at is overall, like the environment of the dog that they're going to have to like, where they're going to have to live. Cause like, is this dog extremely fearful and do they live in the most high traffic area? As an example, it would be like a, that probably isn't going to be great. Um, but you can also look into other factors that can help understand like within reason, what would work. I would say commitment level and or experience or just openness of an adopter. Um, cause we get, you know, first time dog owners can be amazing individuals and be super open-minded to like listening to steps forward. Um, but then there's also certain things that like experience can be really beneficial with. Like I wouldn't even say experience of having a dog growing up, like rescue dog experience could be beneficial for some specific animals or sorry, dogs. Um, and kind of how Laura had mentioned, like, I think like with commitment, like what does that person ideally like want to do with their dog? Like what are their non-negotiables that they're at least telling us up front? Cause that can just help me recognize what they're going to see as a challenge or chore versus what they're going to enjoy doing as a dog owner. Can you give some examples of what sort of conversations you might have around things like that? So we had a dog that just got adopted out recently who was one of the most reactive dogs that a tra- the trainer that he was working with had seen and was in one of the busiest areas of Toronto and was doing like it just wasn't working out well. So finding that dog a home in a different city with someone who was committed to seem like this is something that we want to find, um, like a comfortable spot for this dog, um, mentally, physically, the location and things. Um, so that was one that was like a nice to find. Um, we have like a lot of dogs that have working breed in them. Mm -hmm. Um, or even just like terrier. I mean, I guess a terrier is a working breed, so I shouldn't say it like that, but people who are just willing to engage with their dog. Um, you know, one of the most common things we get on an application is looking for a low energy dog and like a low energy dog typically doesn't exist without some level of fulfillment or activity. So it's for us, it's like, Hey, like, what are you willing to put into your dog to create a low energy dog? Um, Cause I feel like that is one of the most important things is like the fulfillment of the dog versus a lot of other things. Like, you know, people 
I know Laura, you mentioned size, but like, I don't think of size that much. Like a lot of people will just like create these non-negotiables for themselves that they really don't maybe understand that like a lot of dogs can live in an apartment regardless of size. Like a lot of dogs sleep all day while you're home. They're not using the apartment or their like place as their activity spot. Um, so for me, it's more so like temperament and energy level that you're kind of talking together about. Yeah. Do you ever have to have those like difficult conversations uh, with uh, applicants to, to say like, hey, you asked for a low energy dog. FYI, this doesn't exist. <laughs> um, yes and no. But like personally, I've had interviews where I have helped um, showcase why I don't think it's a good fit to move forward with the adoption at the time. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, it's like we go on that journey together. Like I go into the interviews, like I wouldn't go do an interview that I didn't think was a good decision, but talking through some of the questions and trying to come to a place where there's an understanding on both sides. Um, for me, like I've had people going into a thing saying like, I wouldn't be able to support a dog with potty training. I wouldn't be able to help with reactivity. I wouldn't be able to help with crate training. And it's like, if that's a hard no for you, like I want to be honest in that I can't provide a dog that I don't have, that there's no risk that any of those things are like not going to be able or not needing work. Like yeah. it's actually more time often that those dogs, like dogs will come up and need support for humans in that way. Um, so yeah, I'm happy to have those conversations. Like, I, I think that it's a little awkward for me sometimes when I'm talking to people that are like senior to me, like, I just like, it's a little, a bit of like a power struggle still. Like there, like there's a lot of really receptive people, but I think I just, uh, it's, it's an interest. Like, I just never thought I'd be teaching or like educating, supporting people that are, yeah, my senior. I don't know why that's something that I noticed though. <laughs> Well, the dog world is funny. Yeah. And some people, uh, yeah, I, I know exactly what you mean. Some people, um, it's always a learning opportunity with, um, with dogs. Like, I don't know. It's, it's just like children, like every, like you guys have kind of said, like every year there's like new research or like new findings about dogs. And anyway, I, I know what you're uh, getting at. That's, that's pretty funny. Okay. So I think this is a good segue into our next question, um, which is, what are some of the common reasons it may be difficult to find an adequate match for a dog? Mm. I would say it's very, it can be very challenging to find a home for a dog that is not good with other dogs. Um because most people like romanticize about going to the dog park or having the dog off leash wherever they want, um, which is understandable. I, I used to have a dog like that. It was great, you know, um, but it does, it does change your relationship and what you're able to do with your dog when your dog can't be around other dogs unsupervised, uh, like very like strictly unsupervised. Um, yeah. It's very hard to find, it is a very, very hard to find a dog, a home that has a bite history. Um, regardless if that situation with the bite was extremely understood and was fair, a lot of times dogs bite, most of the time dogs bite because they're not being advocated for and they are communicating, I'm uncomfortable, I need space, I need something different. And people just 
are unfortunately naive and think, oh, my dog won't do this or like, you know, we're we're the exception and we're not going to get bit. Um, But then once that dog has bitten somebody or another dog that goes on their record and explaining that to somebody else who doesn't have an emotional connection to that dog, um, it's, it's hard to get past that, that part of the filter. So that becomes really challenging. Um, I would say dogs with extreme separation anxiety that can't be left alone. Um, it's very challenging to work with and can be super, super stressful for the owner. Um, and just very simply, how many people do we know that don't leave their house, you know, ever? Um, Me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, pro- pro- like after the pandemic, you know? So unless it's like a family of like four and they're the one of the, the kids are older and there's always someone around or you've got to like a, a couple, a senior, a senior couple where one of them's always home. It's just, how do we trust that that dog won't be stressed out when left alone? Like, it's just, it's very difficult. Yeah. Can, can I flip the question on like, what about people wise? Like, what is it about a person that you would be like, Oh, Ooh. you know, I don't know if this is a good fit. It's a good question. I feel like with the space that we're typically in is just like a lot of um, categories in the community these days is like, it's a lot of unlearning and relearning. And I feel like with dog rescue though, it, it doesn't have that shining moment in society where we understand that we have to unlearn to relearn how to be a good dog person or dog advocate or dog handler. And so I think when you meet someone with like resistance like, or like lack of openness to like learn how to support a, like one of our dogs, you know, cause like we're coming in with like an experience on the type of dog that we're used to rescuing. So it's not like your typical dog that you maybe got when you were growing up. And a lot of people I think believe that, um, just because they've had a family dog, it means that they understand how to like own a dog. And it's not just yeah. about the daily responsibilities. It's about the mindset, the body language, like the support that you give them. Um, So I I find like that's one of the hardest things to break. And I also find a difficulty too is that because, you know, we're working with dogs that are good at living in survival mode. So they're actually really smart with their instincts. And so I think a lot of people really want ease in their lifestyle, which is understandable. I think that that doesn't happen as naturally with a lot of the dogs that we see that have been street dogs. And what I notice is that a lot of people want the dog to exist comfortably unmonitored in their homes. And I just don't know if that's like an option that actually exists for like a while. Like, you know, I want the dog to be good with my cats. I want them to be good with my kids, with my other dogs, with strangers coming over or just people they don't have to be strangers. Like we don't have to make it sound bad, but like those for me, like there's just so much risk involved with placing a dog in a place where there's not, like a rationale to understand the perspective of the dog experience to be able to support them. And then I think like the last note I want to bring in, which I think Laura could talk about for six months is like, (laughs) I think a lot of people think that like bad dogs need training. Whereas I feel like all dogs or sorry, all people can like utilize training as a support system. And, um, you know, just as they use a veterinarian to support the dog's, uh, health and wellness 
physically, like mentally, like a trainer will be able to support you and your dog to have a better relationship. Like we give you general knowledge. We don't give you a lifetime of knowledge to understand your dog, your situation and your life. So a trainer is going to give you that private understanding of like, this is how you need to work with your dog. And when you have a good trainer that you have a good relationship with, I mean, just speaking from experience with some of the challenges I've had with Marshall, like being able to have a relationship with a trainer that you can call and say, holy shit, Marshall just bit me. And it's judgment free. And we talk it through. And then the conclusion is, I screwed up. And what can I do to make sure that I'm not impeding in his space and not picking up on his body language and his cues because he gave me several warnings and I didn't listen to them. And what resulted was him biting my thumb and that was my fault. And having a supportive trainer to be able to call in those moments when you are frantic and upset and um, your adrenaline's going, it's just, it's so meaningful to have somebody that knows your dog and has worked with your dog and can really offer both that support and advice when you are in those crisis moments. Because if you don't have somebody at your fingertips, then it's not very helpful because you don't already have that relationship built. So that's huge. Am I allowed to say one more thing, even though we're supposed to wrap up now? Okay. I'm glad, Jenna, that you brought up the training versus medical stuff because I could long wind the hell out of that forever. Um, but I do want to mention like another thing that I would say is a tough sell in a sense when we're working with humans is like in the rescue community, a lot of people are emotionally charged and those who are coming in being like, I'm here to rescue this dog. I, and, and they have this like hero mentality or this, um, this, the dog needs to be pitied. And the only thing that's going to fix this dog is love and being coddled and just being emotional. Like as much as I understand that desire to be there to pick up that dog and be its its next best option, it's often uh, you're, we're unable to change the way that those folks think um, and to give them other options. And, you know, being emotional with your dog just actually translates to your dog that there's instability and that they need to be the leader. Um, so it, it becomes like a very tough, I, we can't change people's personalities, you know, through what we do. Um, so yeah, emotionally driven humans are wonderful. They have a lot to give, but there definitely needs to be education and absolutely like professional support in order to make a responsible um, match. Well, thanks so much for sharing all of that information. That was incredibly helpful. We're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back to talk about some tangible items that folks who maybe are looking to adopt can start to reflect on as they head into this journey. So be right back. You've been listening to the Dog Friendly KW podcast, and today we've been talking to Laura and Jenna Bai from Save Our Scruff. So we have one more question, um, which I think is a, a really good one for our listeners. 
It is, what are some things prospective adopters can start to think of if they are considering rescuing? It is so important to understand like what your expectations are of a dog. Um, and you know, like, and what do you want a dog for? Do you want a dog for your own companion? Do you want a dog for, a, as a playmate for your kids? Do you want a dog as a running buddy? Like, what are you expecting? Like, honestly expecting, not just like, what are you saying you want out of a dog? Like, oh my gosh, I want, you know, a dog to get me into a routine and I want a dog to get me out of the house for six hours a day for a walk and a jog and a sprint and all these things. Like, what are you actually willing to give, give to your dog? Um, and what, like, what is a dog? Like, I know it sounds so simple, but you know, a dog doesn't show up into your home as a pet. A dog is an animal. A dog is an animal that speaks a completely different language than you. They use body language to communicate. If you were to bring a human being into your home and spoke a different language, how much work would you be willing to put in to speak that, that, that person's language? Like that needs to be considered that much time needs to be considered when it comes to your dog, because your relationship to your dog is the absolute most important thing. Um, if you don't have a good relationship with your dog, you're either like that horrible boss. That's just like yelling things at some, at somebody that doesn't respect them. And your dog is having to listen or you're a complete pushover and your dog takes advantage of you and becomes like a little bit of brat. So, um, yeah. What do you want out of your dog and what are you willing to do to get that dog? I think those are really awesome things for people to reflect on as they want to think about getting a dog or think about rescuing a dog. Those are two, I think, really important things to really drill into. I will also never forget those analogies. (laughs) (laughs) They are now drilled into my brain forever. I love that. (laughs) Well, thank you so much to both of you for chatting with us today. 30 minutes is never anywhere near enough time. But if our listeners would like to get in touch or learn more about the work that Save Our Scruff does, where can they find you? You can go to our Instagram, Save Our Scruff at Save Our Scruff. You can go on our website. Laura, what's our website? Amazing. Well, thank you so much for tuning in today to the Dog Friendly KW Podcast. Until next time. Uh...